This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. One game remains between the Bengals and Super Bowl 57 in Arizona. But before they can even think about the Super Bowl, they got to think about stopping Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. AFC Championship game week is always a blast. It still feels good rolling those words off my tongue. Welcome into another postseason preview edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast. Muhammad Ahmad back at it with you on a Wednesday with Andrew Gillis. Mike Nizek will join us tomorrow. Later in the show, we're going to have Dan Horde, who is the voice of the Cincinnati Bengals. He's always a great chat to have, and he has some great insights later in the show. But uh, to kind of set the stage further for this week, so Patrick Mahomes did practice on Wednesday. Uh, the attention has been on him after his high ankle sprain that he sustained against the Jaguars in that divisional win Saturday last weekend. Uh, he was a full participant. It appears that his ankle was taped up. Um, and when he was walking uh, out of his press conference today and in practice, he did not have a walking boot on. Uh, he had normal cleats on with the tape on his ankle, like we mentioned. So either... He is just in a lot of pain, and he still has the adrenaline running through his body. Or maybe it might not be as severe as we think it is. But again, he practiced on Wednesday, which is a big sign for the Chiefs and a bigger sign for the Bengals. Uh, Bengals head coach Zach Taylor didn't really put too much emphasis on uh, watching tape of Mahomes' practice today. Instead, focusing more on the injury report, which that's kind of how it's been all year for the Bengals, is looking at the injury report at the end of the week and making game-time assessments on that. Uh, on the Bengals' front, Alex Kappa and Jonah Williams did not practice. Neither of them have practiced since they respectively went down with uh, their injuries. Kappa has been out since Week 18. Uh, he went down in that game against the Ravens, and then a week later, Jonah Williams goes down. They have not practiced since then, like we said. Uh, Trey Flowers is trending in the right direction. He was limited with a hamstring injury on Wednesday after not even practicing at all last week. Ted Karras was a full go, which is good news after he had a limp right knee against Buffalo last week. And Sam Hubbard and DJ Reader each getting a little bit of veterans rest. Uh, Hubbard practiced but was limited. Reader completely rested. They got a little veterans rest, I would say, especially with Hubbard. They want to make sure he's healthy after he missed a couple games with his own ankle injury at the end of the year. So you want to have him ready because that's going to be a big thing to have against Patrick Mahomes, which we'll talk more about uh, tomorrow. But to talk about Joe Burrow today, uh, Andrew, I mean, simply put, the Chiefs have come so close, so close, but not close enough because they have not completely found a way to stop Joe Burrow. And it's not to say Joe Burrow is the only reason that Patrick Mahomes I'm sorry, he's 0-3 against Burrow, but I mean, just look at the numbers Burrow's put up against the Chiefs. He's thrown eight touchdowns, just one interception, which was called in the AFC Championship game. And if you go back and watch it, it really wasn't an interception. It was a tiptoed pick from Algeria Sneed. Um, He's completed over 70% of his passes. He's averaged almost 325 uh, yards per game passing. Pretty good numbers. And if you look beyond the stat sheet, uh, it's been pretty telling that he's just gotten better and better no matter what defensive coordinator Steve Spagnuolo's thrown at him. 
So if you're Steve Spagnolo, if you're head coach Andy Reid, you look at what Joe Burrow's been able to do the last three times, including their meeting back in December. Do you change anything? If so, what do you change? Or is it maybe just bad luck that the Chiefs had on offense where they just couldn't match what Burrow had? I mean, how do you kind of weigh just, you know, those matchups with and against Burrow? Yeah, I mean, if I were Spagnola right now, I'd be trying to figure out ways to, to drum up pressure against Burrow. Um, you know, you got to hope that it, you got to hope that that offensive line doesn't hold. Um, you know, they had a great, great game against Buffalo. Nobody's taking anything away from them. Um, but it's the NFL. You got to do it again. Uh, and depending if they win, you might have to do it again. If you if you beat the if you beat the Chiefs and you got to go play maybe a you know, better defensive front in, in Philly and San Francisco. So uh, that's getting ahead of ourselves. I mean, this offensive line has got to prove themselves again. Um, you know, I understand that they just played well and they kind of deserve the credit for that. Uh, they, they deserve a lot of the credit for the way the run game played, but um, it's, you know, they've got to do it again. And if I'm Steve Spagnuolo, I'm trying to press her. I'm trying to press that luck. I'm trying to see what you can do to get after Burrow because when Burrow doesn't have time, if you know if you're able to get there with four, you're dropping seven guys into coverage. I mean, th- that was kind of the book on on Brady for so long was that if you get home with four, you can really disrupt some things. Um, because then, you know, if you have a running back that has to stay in the block when you have four, that's just a schematic misadvantage or disadvantage. If you have six guys blocking four. Then it's it just it's simple math at that point where the offense is at a disadvantage. So uh, you've got to get home. You've got to find ways to, to you know simulated pressures. You've got to find ways to you know to get guys different stunts to get them home. You've got to blitz guys from unique places, kind of like we saw the Bengals do on on Sunday in Buffalo. You've got to be really creative with how you get after Burrow when you decide to get after Burrow and the ways that you decide to do it. Because if you're able to do that, I think you're going to be feeling okay. Um, you know, I, I, it's going to be kind of funny that we're going to be talking like this. I'm going to sound like a broken record all week, but both quarterbacks, you've got to get after them. I know it's very simple. I know it's very easy, but you've got to get after them. You've got to make their lives hell because if they're not comfortable, then the entire offense isn't comfortable, and that's how you're gonna that's how you're gonna win the game. So, um, to me, it, it, that's the big thing. If, if you can keep Joe Burrow clean, if you're the Bengals, uh, you have to be feeling good because he is playing right now at an unbelievable level. So you've got to give him time. Yeah. And you know, one of the biggest people like literally and figuratively biggest people that Joe Burrow has to avoid is Chris Jones, who, I mean, I still can't believe it was six foot six, 310 pounds. He's just been a monster. The last seven seasons he's been with Kansas city since they drafted him. I mean, he's in the conversation for defensive player of the year for good reason. I mean, he's tied with Matthew Judon for the fourth most sacks in the league with 15 and a half. Andrew, that puts him a half sack behind Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett has been Joe Burrow's worst nightmare since he has been in the NFL. Uh, you could say maybe TJ Watt, but I really believe Miles Garrett has been the biggest kryptonite for Joe Burrow because every time they've lost to the Browns, uh, that's when Miles Garrett comes out. And so with Chris Jones, he did not have a single registered quarterback hit nor sack against Burrow back in December, that has to change. That absolutely has to change. If you're Steve Spagnuolo, that is unacceptable. Again, this guy is in the defensive player of the year running. Uh, he's a pro bowler, all pro. I mean, he's his grade for overall defense on pro football focus is 92, which puts him in the top five with those guys like Garrett, who I mentioned. I mean, it really puts him among one of the top 
graded defenders overall, regardless of position. So um, you have to take advantage of him. And this is not to say that the other three uh, on that Kansas City front don't matter. They absolutely do. But in some ways for Chris Jones, like you have to come in with a chip on your shoulder because, you know, you're going against, and this is not to knock on these guys. I'm actually going to praise them here in a minute, but you're going against Jackson Carmen. You're going against, well, I guess in this case, Hakeem Adeniji, if he lines up on that right edge against Adeniji and Max Sharping. Assuming, of course, that there's no Alex Kappa and Jonah Williams, which I would not be shocked if that's the case. Like, you're going against guys that you didn't even face uh, last time or the time before that in the AFC Championship. And he's going to remember those sneaks that Joe Burrow had in the AFC Championship last year, especially that third down uh, in the second half where, like, Burrow had him dead to rights. I go back and watch this, and I truly believe it is one of the greatest runs in his career for Burrow because he should have been sacked should have, like keyword should have and was not because that's just how elusive he is. And this is last year. The Burrow we know this year is way tougher. Not that he wasn't last year, but like I talked about with his ACL getting better, with him being able to avoid sacks better, like he's gotten better at that. So it's a challenge for Burrow and it's a challenge for Jones. And I think it's going to be a fun chess match to watch between those two because, yeah, I mean, if you're Jones, like – you you got to come in with all the rage, all the anger. And if you're Steve Spagnolo, if there's like a Jones meter, you just crank it all the way up. You do not slow that down whatsoever. So it's, it's going to be uh, interesting to see how that goes about. But, you know, going back to those other guys I mentioned, Hakeem Adeniji, Jackson Carmen. First of all, I want to apologize in advance to Jackson Carmen. And I want to apologize in advance to people who actually gave this guy praise because I was mistaken. Like I actually really believe Jackson Carmen isn't at his best potential, but he's getting there. He is getting there, and that Bills game proved it. Other than the one sack he gave up, and I think it was a holding penalty, which, again, you're not going to win them all. It's it's kind of like baseball. It's just kind of like sometimes you strike out. Um, I really think this guy, uh, he is picking up where he left off last year. He's getting better. And here's the thing, too. Hakeem Adeniji played in that game against the Chiefs last year in the championship. Jackson Carmen played in that game. I don't believe Carmen started, but he played a lot of snaps in that game. Uh, even Deontay Smith, who they might use as a as a potential extra blocker, which they did against the Bills. Like he played in that game too. Again, it's it's not Alex Kappa, it's not Jonah Williams, it's not Lyle Collins, but it's depth, it's battle tested depth and it's proven depth. You know, Jackson Carmen's gonna go against Frank Clark, who I should have mentioned Frank Clark. That's another a uh, tough edge rusher that he's going to have to deal with. But, you know, he went against Frank Clark last year. You know, and he told me today that, you know, going against him last year, is it was humbling because that's actually somebody he looked up to personally when he was growing up, uh, before he came into the league at least, because there's not much of an age gap. But he looked up to him. Uh, to go against him was humbling, and I'm sure going against him again will be even more humbling. Um, same with Adeniji. Like, he's looked really sharp at right tackle. Uh, he's certainly more comfortable. That's just because he played right tackle, you know, in high school in Texas. He played at Kansas where he had big 12 honors. That's what got the Bengals to draft him in 2020. So, you know, uh, whether he has to go against, uh, like we talked about Chris Jones or whoever else up front, um, it's going to be a challenge, I think, for Adeniji and Jones. Like, it's going to be another battle to watch. You know, how, how much confidence and faith, Andrew, do you have? just from what you've seen against the Bills uh, from that front. And then, you know, on top of that, just the fact that these same guys who are reserves still played in that game last year. Yeah, um, you know, I think the way that you have to, and I think Bengals fans kind of need to approach this this week with with the offensive line going against Kansas City's defensive line, I would say 
cautious optimism. I think that that's the uh, I think that that's the way to do it. Because um, I mean, you're talking about again, like the um, you know we just we praise the offensive line for for pretty good reason, just because of how well that they played in um, of how well that they played in Buffalo. Uh, they were really really good. But yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, you got Chris Jones, you've got. Uh, Frank Clark, you've got Carlos Dunlap in there. Like you've got guys that are That's true. really, you've got really, really good defensive players in there, just kind of like Buffalo had. And I mean, it's, it's not a far-fetched fantasy. It's not a far-fetched world to say, okay, you know, Kansas City's really going to get after Burrow. They're really going to kind of make this offensive line what everybody feared, this, that, and the other, just because they're really good. You know, um, Willie Gay Jr. is a really good pass rusher too. Um, you know, they've got guys that can get after Burrow and, I mean, I, I like I wouldn't be surprised if the Bengals repeat their performance and they, they kind of found something with this new offensive line. Uh, but I also wouldn't be surprised if if the Chiefs kind of throw some things at them that they're not ready for. And and the Chiefs get after Burrow because they're I mean, they, they get paid, too. Um, oh, yeah. Know, so I think um, I think cautious optimism has got to be got to be the way that Bengals fans approach this, because, again, have to be feeling good. They, like they, they gave you no, this offensive line gave you zero reason to, to have concern from them from, from Buffalo's game. I mean, they, the Bengals started out incredibly hot. They started out 14, nothing. And really the rest of the game with a hobbled Ted Karras at center, they played really well. Um, so the, again, still a full deserve, go. yeah, they, they deserve their props for that, but uh, it's a whole new challenge this week. It's a whole new test this week. So, um, we're just going to have to see. And uh, again, it's, it's a brand new, brand new week. It's almost like a brand new season basically. Um, so it's, oh, yeah. it's going to be really, really interesting to see how they hold up. You know, you mentioned Dunlap. I completely forgot about him. I mean, for those who don't know, but I'd say most obviously know. I mean, that's a former Cincinnati Bengal. Like he spent the first 10 years of his career in Cincinnati. You know, he was part of that, that defense up front with Geno Atkins that, you know, saw the Bengals make five straight playoff appearances, but, you know, uh, his exit wasn't the way he would have drawn it up, uh, which we've talked about on this podcast. Uh, there's a reason why the Bengals, who almost never trade, traded him away midseason during Burrow's rookie year. But, you know, of course, it's, it's not that it was personal with him and the players. It was more of the coaching staff and the administration. Um, but again, like, uh, there's a lot of mutual respect there. But, you know, once you get on the field, Dunlap's not going to look at Burrow as his former teammate. He's going to look at him as prey. He's going to be praying after him just as Frank Clark will, just as Chris Jones will, just as everyone else on that defense is going to be doing. But speaking of the Bengals and their offense, uh, coming up on the podcast, when we come back, Dan Horde, the voice of the Bengals, sets the stage for this game. We talk about why Burrow is Burrow, as he gives me a special interpretation. Plus, we start setting the stage for what the Bengals defense has to do in order to get to Mahomes and much, much more right here on the Strictly Stripes podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. Joining me is my very special guest, the longtime voice of the Cincinnati Bengals radio network, 
Dan Horde, who is prepping for one of his busiest weeks of the year for the AFC Championship. And Dan, I was going to say, you've prepped for the conference championship before at this time last year. Does it get a little easier just after prepping for it one time already? You know, it's a little bit easier because they've already played. So a lot of my homework about the Kansas City Chiefs is already finished. Plus, they played twice last year. And the two games last year were both late in the year. So this will be the fourth game between these two teams since January 2nd of last year. So obviously, I'll make sure everything is up to date. But I feel like I could watch a Chiefs game right now and identify all of the players just from having seen these two teams so much. So if I were to just quiz you and throw a random number from the Chiefs roster, you would just get the name off the fly? I'd rather you didn't, just in case I get it wrong. I'd probably be able to do most of them, yes. Oh, I'm just having fun with you. But no, I mean, that's. I think that's actually one of the hardest jobs with play-by-play because I did some of that before I uh, started doing this uh, job with Cleveland.com, for those who don't know. So I, I know what it's all about, making your spotting boards, memorizing the rosters. Uh, it's a fun challenge, though. I will say that. It's, it's an enjoyable challenge, as you can attest to. But yeah, it's, um, it's a lot of fun. I know you'll be having a blast in the booth this week with Dave Lapham. But like you said, this is the fourth meeting since last year, they met three times in the 2022 calendar year. And I know people like to kind of talk about this sort of uh, headline, but, you know, the whole Burrow versus Mahomes kind of matchup is becoming a real thing. Like, this is their second playoff meeting, both times in the conference championship. But Mahomes hasn't beaten Burrow yet. But Mahomes hasn't even beaten the Bengals since 2018 when the Bengals played uh, in Kansas City on Sunday Night Football. So it's been quite a drought for him. Uh, how do you see Andy Reid being the chess master, mastermind he is, you know, doing anything maybe differently to stop Joe Burrow and just the success they've had since they've played them? Well, Andy Reid is one of the greatest coaches in NFL history on both sides of the ball. Steve Spagnuolo will be the guy who's trying to conjure up plans to slow down Joe Burrow. I think Andy spends most of his time concentrating on the offensive end going to be really interesting to see. We don't know who the quarterback is going to be for Kansas City for sure. I assume it will be Patrick Mahomes, but the dude has a high ankle sprain. It could be grade one, two, or three. If it's three, he wouldn't play. So I think we can rule that out. But it could be grade one or grade two. If it's grade one, he'll be okay. He'll be able to move around a little bit. If it's grade two, he'll be stationary. And that forces the Chiefs to change what they do. He threw more passes outside of the pocket than any quarterback in the NFL this year. It's one of his strengths. So it's going to be really interesting to see how much different this game looks from a typical Cincinnati-Kansas City game. You know, Lou Anarumo said when he spoke with uh, the media the other day was that he's going to prepare for Patrick Mahomes whether he's on one leg or two legs because he's just that good. I mean, some people might say Jacksonville shot itself in the foot in that divisional game in Arrowhead, but at the same time, I mean – That doesn't take away from what Mahomes did after he went back in with that high ankle sprain that you mentioned. So Anarumo makes a very good point that it is going to be tough. It is going to be challenging. From his point of view, kind of flipping it back to the Bengals, I mean, what do you do if you're Anarumo? Depending on obviously, you know, whatever level sprain Mahomes has, do you see Anarumo doing things differently because he's 2-0 and against Mahomes. He just had a good game against Josh Allen. I mean, Josh Allen is just another tally to his long list of victims that he's had this year, Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry. What does he do differently if he does anything? 
well, he will do something differently. And I think that was going to be the case regardless of the status of Patrick Mahomes' ankles. You can't do the same thing against him two games in a row. So let's go back to the AFC Championship game last year. In the second half of the game, the Bengals almost exclusively rushed three, dropped eight, changed the coverages on every snap, used Sam Hubbard like he was a middle linebacker to, to spy Patrick Mahomes, and it worked brilliantly. The Chiefs didn't score a touchdown in the second half or overtime. Then when they met earlier this year, the plan was different. We didn't see that much of that because – the Chiefs adjusted. They knew after the AFC Championship game last year, the teams would watch that tape and figure, well, there's your blueprint. That's how you slow down Patrick Mahomes. So they tried to do it this early this year, and he picked it apart. So the bottom line is, every time you face the combination of Reed and Mahomes, you've got to change things up. And it's one of Lou Anarumo's strengths. And one of the reasons why it's a strength is because he has one of the smartest defenses in the NFL. It's not that just that these are great players, and they are, but they're really smart players. So with Bell and Bates coordinating the secondary, Sam Hubbard being the movable piece that he is, Wilson and Pratt recognizing things quickly at the linebacker position, he's a mad scientist because he's got the uh, things in his uh, – you know, beakers and uh, above the Bunsen burner to be able to do <laughs> things as creatively as he does. And that's going to be a huge key, again, regardless of the status of Patrick Mahomes' right ankle this week. Andrew Rumo says he's not a big fan of the Mad Scientist label, but he's probably saying that while he has all those beakers and tubes hiding somewhere in the Bengals stadium in his office, there's got to be some tubes in there. One of them is labeled Mahomes. The other one is labeled uh Josh Allen, and he's just got like different combinations in there for all we know. But um, it is remarkable to see what he's done. And I, you know, one thing I told um, Andrew Gillis, my partner on the podcast earlier this week, is that you know people might say the Bengals don't have that Aaron Donald or that Jalen Ramsey or that generational type player. But at the same time, one thing Zach Taylor said the Bengals don't have either is a weak link. They don't have that weak link. He said after the Buccaneers game, they haven't found it, and I don't think they have because. To be frankly honest, I don't believe there is a weak link in this Bengals defense. And that's the part that I think should cause alarm for any head coach or offensive coordinator is that, yeah, you don't have any pro bowl, all pro players on that roster with exception of maybe Jesse Bates and, you know, Trey Hendrickson, obviously, because um, Bates is an all proer and then Hendrickson has made back to back pro bowls. But besides that, you know, you still have DJ reader who may not get, some credit they deserve from people around the league. You also have Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt who are playing at the best level they've played this year. You know, is that maybe one of the hallmarks of this defense is that they don't have that big-name talent, but they just don't have that weak link like Zach Taylor said? Yes, and I would make that trade every day of the week. So what would you rather have, one of the greatest players of all time or 11 great players? Exactly. Maybe 11 great players or 11 really, really good players – Maybe great is a slight overstatement. But like you said, there's no weak link. They're good on the line. They're good at linebacker. They're good in the secondary. And they play so well together. And they've got depth coming off the bench as well. Trey Flowers obviously has been excellent in his role. Dax Hill has played well in the last few weeks. Akeem Davis-Gaither excels in his role. And I could go on and on. So, yeah, they don't have a first ballot Hall of Famer like Aaron Donald. They might have uh, not have anybody that leads the league in a particular statistic. They're all pretty damn good. And exactly. uh, they've, they've shut down the best teams in the NFL, and they're going to give Kansas City trouble this week as well.
And that's the thing is, you know, you look at the Rams, they still had Aaron Donald. They still had Jalen Ramsey, like who granted helped them beat the Bengals last year. But you look at them this year, among many other reasons, they didn't even finish above 500. So you're right. They, they put in all that stock for those really good players, but everything else didn't materialize on either side of the ball. Even when you have like a Cooper cup or a Matthew Stafford up until he got hurt, you know, I think like, I would absolutely be with you. Like, would you rather have the first ballot hall of famer or 11 pretty darn good guys? And then all those other bench players that have excelled like Akeem Davis Gaither, he plays some of the fewest snaps on the Bengals defense, but he had one of the biggest plays of his career against Baltimore in the wildcard round. He covered Mark Andrews well. And then Dax Hill, who was drafted this year, uh, he had to cover Dawson Knox against Buffalo. And that's a pretty tall task for a rookie who's kind of been thrown into the frame. Speaking of which, I think Cam Taylor-Britt is kind of the epitome of being a rookie thrown into the fray, doing all that he's done since Chadobia Wuzier went down. But, you know, we've talked so much about you know, these personnel on defense. I don't think we can talk about the Bengals without, of course, mentioning the one and only Joe Burrow. You know, it just seems like he always thrives in the moment. But Zach Taylor said the playoffs just seems to be where he comes alive. Like, he kind of implied that to me, you know, after the game in uh, Buffalo, that he just loves these moments. What is it about Joe Burrow that just gives him that killer instinct, that gives him all, this whole lengthy list of nicknames that he has? <laughs> well, I, I guess I'll add another one. So I, I've come up with an acronym for Joe Burrow. It's STAR. And here's what each letter stands for, okay? S, smart. From his first day in the NFL, he's been one of the smartest quarterbacks in the NFL. Defenses can't fool him. He plays like he's been in the NFL for 15 years instead of three he plays like he's got Brady's experience instead of being in his, you know, third season. So that's the S. T, toughness. Think about the playoffs last year. Sacked nine times by Tennessee, just keeps getting up and asking for more. Leads the Bengals to a win, gets them within two minutes of a Super Bowl title, even though he got sacked 19 times in the postseason. And that was coming back from a horrific knee injury. So T for toughness. A, oh. <laughs> I'm trying to remember my accuracy. accuracy. He is statistically the most accurate passer by completion percentage in NFL history. Now that he's thrown 1,500 passes. So there is your A and R <laughs> ringleader. Yes. R for ringleader. This team marches to the beat of that drummer. He has been the guy who has set the stage from his first day in the building. So it took me a second to remember what some of my letters stand for, but those are the letters in star smart, tough, accurate ringleader. There's Joe Burrow. That was gold. You deserve an <laughs> Emmy for that because I have never heard anybody come up with that. Only if you can spit it out quickly. I lose my Emmy when I have to remember for a second what each letter stands for. But I just came up with this earlier today, so you'll have to cut me some slack. Hey, I, I, absolutely. I mean, I, I couldn't even think of that even if it took me an extra second to remember any of those acronyms. So uh, props <laughs> to you for that, Dan. I mean, and of course, with, with how busy you are, you know, because you're obviously covering UC basketball right now and you've got the Bengals, of course, this week. So you're a busy man. You you got a lump on the brain. You got a lot that you're thinking about. So we, of course, you have to get some slack. But speaking of which, I know you're a busy man and your time is tight. But just kind of wrap up, Dan. You know, we just saw that the Bengals have been moved up to one point favorites. I'd imagine a lot of that has to do with the uncertainty with Patrick Mahomes, but 
irregardless of that, I mean, this is an easy question, but maybe this is a, a loaded question at the same time. Can the Bengals really do it? Like, will the Bengals go into Arrowhead for the second time and win the AFC Championship for the second time? Of course they can. That's different from will they. I'm a little bit worried about Mahomes' injury in the sense that it has now created uh, like a level of confidence among Bengals fans that, hey, we beat him three times. Mahomes is limping on one Mahomes is limping on one leg. I don't feel that way at all. You know, I think the worst case scenario from the Chiefs' perspective is that he just becomes a pocket passer. He can't move around. So what? <laughs> he's, he's got, the you know, arguably the most arm talent of anybody who's ever played the position. So it is going to be a nail biter. The first three games are, have been three-point Bengals wins. One of them went to overtime. I suspect it's going to be like that again. There's always a little bit of luck involved when you've got, you know, tight games that go in, the, in your direction. And I think there's been a little of that in the past for the Bengals. But uh, are they capable of going to Kansas City and winning again? Of course they are. And I think they will, but I do think it's going to be a down-to-the-last-second thriller. I really do. And I hope it is because those games are the most exciting, and I think that's what's made this such a savory, exciting rivalry for all football fans, whether it be Bengals or Chiefs fans. I think anyone would enjoy a game like that. But, again, that's Dan Horde, the radio voice of the Cincinnati Bengals radio network. Dan, always a pleasure. So glad I got to have you on. Thank you so much for your time, sir. Smart. Tough, accurate ringleader. <laughs> you got it. I've got That's what you are, Dan. Ringleader. You're a star. Enjoy being on with you, Mom, and thank you. Likewise. Don't go away. We'll be right back on the Strictly Stripes podcast. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. So uh, we've talked so much, Andrew, about Joe Burrow, his ability to move uh, against the Chiefs, what the Chiefs have to do to collapse the pocket for Burrow, uh, or better yet, maybe keep him in the pocket and you know disrupt him in that sense, and what Spagnolo has to do, the defensive coordinator for the Chiefs, has to do to make sure he's not 0-4 against Joe Burrow after he's already gone 0-3. But, you know, a big part of all of that also has to do with Joe Mixon. You know, he had his best game of the year last week, at least his best game of the year since he played against the Browns uh, back in December. But then since that Browns game, he was on a downward trend. He was averaging just barely three and a half yards per carry. But then you look at that Bills game, he had over 100 yards from scrimmage, uh, rushing and receiving. He had some pretty good blocking that I think should not be overlooked. Um, and of course, you know, Samaj P. Ryan is the better chip blocker, but still Burrow, uh, I'm sorry, Mixon, had some pretty impressive moves there too. Now, obviously, Brian Callahan has said this before. Like, they're a pass-heavy team. They're going to let Joe Burrow cook. And we've said before that the key is just simply put the ball in Burrow's hands and let him cook. But you're going to have to utilize Mixon just as they did uh, against Buffalo. What I want to ask you, though, Andrew, is how much do you have to expect from Mixon? Is it just 50 yards a game? with, you know, pretty good carries on those 50 yards? Or do, do you ask for maybe something like 100 yards like he had against the Bills where, you know, he finessed a lot of those linebackers. He, he cuts to a lot of open holes and he gets a lot of yards after contact because, you know, he had a lot of yards after contact against the Bills. That's where he got most of his yards. What do you kind of draw up if, if you're mixing? If you're yeah, the I, and- I, I don't think it's a in-totality thing. Um, you know, I think sometimes you get a lot of coach speak from, from different coaches about, you know, oh, this is, you know, actually what we're looking for from him. And I think sometimes that's easy to say. 
uh, when it, you know, especially when it comes to a situation like this, where you're not a running team. Um, but I actually think Brian Callahan's right. And he's, and he's telling the truth on this one. Um, you know, in, in the four weeks before um, Joe, for Joe Mixon, he had 11 carries, 11 carries, 16 carries and 11 carries. If you want to go back further, 14 and seven, um, they're not a running team that is going right. to just absolutely run the ball down somebody's throat unless the game is out of reach, like we saw in um, in Buffalo. Um, but I, I don't think you're looking at a yardage total like, uh, you know, hey, if he can get to, you know, 75 yards, you know, if he can do this, if he can. Do, I think you're just looking for him, like Brian Callahan said, to be efficient. Um, and and I, like I said, I know sometimes you get coach speak and that might be coach speak, but I actually think it's correct. Um, you know, you don't need him to rush for, you know, a hundred yards. You don't need him to rush for, you know, you know, a certain landmark in terms of yards. I I don't know if you need to do that, but what I do think you need is you need to be able to run the ball effectively. Um, you know, he had 5.25 yards of carry against the bills. That'll do. Um, so whether or not you run it 20 times or 30 times or eight times, uh, you know, 5.25 yards of carry is going to be solid just because it keeps the other team honest, uh, whoever that may be, whether it's the Chiefs or, I mean, this year, next year, whenever, it doesn't matter. Um, you need to keep teams honest, especially with this team there where they're so, so talented passing the ball. Uh, you've got the trio of receivers that you do. Uh, you, you just need to keep defenses at a point where they can't just say, okay, we're going to put three in the box and we're going to drop everybody back. You, you've got to make them account for the run game at least a little bit. If you're able to run for four or five yards a clip, you're going to be feeling okay about that. You know, and I think what also sticks out too is not just the fact that you want to maybe focus on averaging those yards, uh, you know, like five yards per carry like Mixon had last weekend. You want to make sure you're getting them on second down, on third down. Like from a DVOA standpoint, like that's more important. I think the Bengals are more concerned about like can Joe Mixon convert this third down or the second down in the red zone versus did he get 75 yards? Did he get 100 yards? Because you're right. Like it, it's nice to look at the stats and say, oh, he got 100 or 150 Reality is, to a degree, that's window dressing. What you want to focus more on is when did he hit those home runs? Why did he hit those home runs? Is it because, you know, he was able to beat the A-gap? You know, because Jackson Carmen is going to stuff Frank Clark, and that gives Mixon running room because Cordell Volson also contained his guy? Like, you want to look at how is he hitting the gaps? Who's opening the gaps for him? And I think we really saw that in that four-minute drill at the end of the game. Like, that was, I think, one of the best you know, executed drills that they've, they've shown all year, you know, the way that they were able to burn the clock up and, you know, take up five, six, seven minutes. It's a strength they've had all year. I just think it was very symbolic against Buffalo. And a lot of that really, you know, we talk about Brian Callahan and Zach Taylor, you got to praise Frank Pollock, who's the offensive line coach, but I think he's also the run game coordinator. Uh, So, you know, a lot of that goes to him uh, drawing specific blocks when it comes to when and where Joe Mixon or Samaj P Ryan's going to run. And, even Joe Burrow, like Joe Burrow had two carries for 30 yards. One of them was a big, big run uh, in the second half that helped set up uh, the Bengals go ahead score with Mixon's touchdown. I think it was on that drive, but I know it was in the second half. Um, you know, and we've seen more of that from Burrow this year. And they're going to have to have that because if the Chiefs are going to collapse that pocket, then you better have something drawn up for Burrow to be able to escape somewhere or the other, just as he did against the Chiefs last January. And, you know, the Chiefs didn't really get to him in December either. They only sacked him once. And it wasn't much of a significant sack. Like, it wasn't on third down or it wasn't when they were trailing. It was one of those, you know, sacks where, like, you take it, you pick back up, and uh, you move on. But, like, 
Dan Horde was saying, you know, the way he abbreviated Joe Burrow is the word star. Uh, and the letter T in star stands for toughness. And so he's tough. He's going to take those hits. He's going to sustain them, but he's going to get back up. But you want to make sure he's not sustaining too many hits because that's imperative. As we're kind of rounding up, you know, everything with the Chiefs defense and, you know, the Bengals going against him, I think what's always intrigued me, Andrew, is just the way Jamar Chase goes against their corners, goes against their secondary. I mean, one of the reasons why they brought in Justin Reed, <laughs> who's been an interesting talking point with the Bengals, obviously. Part of why they brought in younger, fresher players is because, like, of what Chase did to them uh, in that Week 17 game last year where he had over 266 yards as a rookie. As a rookie, R-O-O-K-I-E. Some veterans can't even put those numbers up. That's just unreal. Uh, and he made them pay. Like, you know, Jamar Chase is one of those guys where, like, you watch the tape and then you play him and you're just like, oh, my God, I did not expect that speed demon. Well, they are expecting a speed demon this go-around because they are not going to have that repeat of what they had then or in the AFC Championship or even back in December. So, like, if you're Spagnuolo, how do you make sure Jamar Chase is not on the case, as Jim Nance likes to say? Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of do what – and I know it sounds cliche again, but I I think you have to do what – kind of teams have done throughout the the entire year with the Bengals. You have to put two, you know, you have to run two high safety over the top. Um, you know, sometimes it involves a straight up double team of Jamar Chase. Um, and again, it, it, it depends if you're able to get home with four, because if you're able to get home with four, then, then you can commit seven guys to coverage. And if you're committing seven guys to coverage and the Bengals are only sending out four receivers, uh, you're feeling pretty good about that. You can you can spare a guy uh, to go to go double Jamar. So, um, you know, to me, I think that uh, it, it's you know you do the things that you know are, are pretty self-explanatory. You put a guy over the top. Um, you have a guy. You know, you deep safety whether or not you know that's taken away a deep ball. Um, you know, you double team him straight up. You have guys playing underneath and kind of bracketing him on the sideline. There's different ways to go about it. Uh, you jam him off the line, try and get him off his route. Like there's, there's different, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And I think that, um, you know, you have to, you have to throw just like you have to throw different things at Joe Burrow. You have to throw different things at Jamar Chase. And I think you can't forget about T Higgins either, because one of the games in Higgins career, that guess given him the most confidence was at AFC championship game. Cause he had six catches for 103 yards, and he had two big catches on that drive in overtime that set up Evan McPherson's game-winning field goal. I think the Chiefs definitely learned from that because uh, he was limited to three catches, 35 yards. But what they also should have done was guard him better on that third and 10 that sealed the deal because one of his catches was that, and the other catch out of the three, one of the other catches out of the three was a touchdown that gave the Bengals a lead in that game. So – they somewhat learned their lesson with Higgins. I mean, he was covered better. He was clouded better. But at the same time, like, you didn't stop him at the very end of the game when you're trying to get the ball back to tie it up. You know, you didn't stop him on a touchdown where he fought, you know, to get those extra yards into the end zone to get that yakky, yakky, yak. Uh, But, you know, that's the thing is you got to focus on them too. Uh, You know, and Hayden Hurst, I'd like to see what kind of a game he has against them because we didn't really get to see much of Hayden Hurst against the Chiefs. He got hurt in the first quarter uh, with that ankle injury that sidelined him for almost the entire month of December, and he just didn't go back in. I want to see how they use him, how much of a blocker they're going to utilize him as, depending on which, again, I don't think we're going to see 
Kaplan Williams without them. You're going to need him as more of a blocker. They definitely use him in those situations against Buffalo. But, man, the way Hayden Hurst was – I like to call him Hurdland Hurst. Like the way Hurdland Hurst was just hurdling left and right in Buffalo, I would love to see that. I think when we do our predictions this week, we're gonna, we should do an over-under on whether or not we see a, a hurdle from Hurdland Hurst. But, um, you know, just to finally put a bow on this, Andrew um, – Again, as we've seen, Joe Burrow is an NFL MVP finalist, as we expected. We also expected Patrick Mahomes to be the same. I think at this point, you and I both agree that the front runner is probably going to be Burrow. I know you've given your rankings on where Burrow ranks with Jalen Hurts, who could also be in the Super Bowl if the Eagles pulled out against San Fran on Sunday, which is that's before the Bengals play on Sunday. So we'll already know if the, the Bengals get in, they're going to know who they're playing, whether it be the Philly Eagles or the San Fran 49ers, but if Joe Burrow can outdo Mahomes again, like if he outduels him and he puts up numbers like we've been talking about in his last three matchups, how much does that maybe set him up next year to be a preseason favorite, like in the same way Josh Allen from the Bills was a preseason favorite this year? Well, I I think no matter what the Bengals do at this point, um, they're going to be a really, really hot team to talk about over the offseason. Yeah, you know, they've got some guys on expiring deals. Um, You know, there might be some change specifically defensively. Um, But, you know, the offensive line is locked up. The receivers are locked up. Mixon's under contract for a year. Burrow's under contract still, under a rookie contract, that is. Like, the, the team is still really, really good. So I think you might get a little bit of, um, I guess this year's Bills syndrome when it comes to the when it comes to the Bengals. Um, I mean, if you remember in August and September, uh, the Bills lost on the road to to the Chiefs uh, in the divisional round, and everybody kind of came into the year saying, "Okay, this is the Bills' year. The Bills are primed for it. They've they've kind of got their got their losses out of the way to the to the Chiefs. They they've kind of taken care of what they need to take care of." Uh, in terms of that regard, in terms of paying their dues, now it's their time. Um, I think either way, you know, like the Bengals can go into Arrowhead and lose, uh, and I think you're kind of going to get that same that same feel. I think you're going to get a, um, you know, I think you're going to have a team that comes back next year where Joe Burrow is, you know, league MVP favorite to open the year. And the Bengals are the Super Bowl bet, the Bang Super Bowl favorite. Like even, like even if the 49ers, Eagles, or Chiefs win the Super Bowl, I think it's gonna. I think the Bengals are gonna be the hot team that everybody picks. So I, I think they've already kind of got there. I, I think they've already kind of done what they need to do to be the team that everybody talks about in the offseason. You know, that's uh, very well put, and it reminded me of what Brandon Bean, the uh, <laughs> the Bills general manager, said earlier is, you know, he's like, we don't want to suck bad enough to have to draft Jamar Chase, which it's such a backhanded compliment because obviously he's admitting that, yeah, like Chase is that good. They drafted him. He made that much of a difference, but I think he was also saying, like, we don't want to be that team that's as bad as them where we have to rebuild with Burrow at the number one pick and Chase at the number five pick a year later, like... I mean, he, he can throw shade at them all he wants, but, like, at the same time, he has to admit, too, and, I mean, he basically did that, like, for as bad as the Bengals were being a laughingstock, like, they're not a laughingstock anymore. Like, they – I mean, we, we we need to talk more about this on a, on a future podcast, just what Duke Tobin and Katie Blackburn and just the Bengals front office has done to just change everything. Like, culture's not even enough to change everything about that organization and its status in the NFL. We have to talk so much about that, but, like, as much as people want to still give the backhanded compliments and all of this and that, I mean, like, 
it still worked. Like it's worked and it's going to keep working and they have them under the rookie contract. So like they can still reap the fruits of all of that for a good bit until they have to have those conversations about Burrow's next contract and, you know, keeping Higgins extending chase and, you know, what happens with Nixon after his years up Tyler Boyd also has one more year left. So like, that's going to be another big talking point is how much do you keep Boyd? How much do you keep Mixon? Like, but for now, yeah, they're just – they're reaping and sowing. They are reaping and sowing. Well, stay tuned with us because tomorrow Mike Nizek will be back as we flip it and look at why Patrick Mahomes can and will be a challenge even with his health. Plus, Lance Reisland joins us to do a little film chat, which we haven't done, but for a week like this, it's only fitting. But once again, for myself, Andrew Gillis, and our special, special guest, Dan Ward, I'm Muhammad Amal. We'll see you tomorrow.